So today's episode is going to start off talking about some very serious information and content. Um, I'm going to have Charlie introduce it a bit more, but just know that we all here at Taste of Meaning have a heavy heart for all the victims in the past couple of weeks from all the shootings across the country. So I just want to pass it to Charlie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks, Martin, for starting that off. And, and I definitely want to very be very trauma-informed as well, you know, really set the intention for all that. You know, this may activate some folks and um, definitely want to give an activation heads up uh, if that's the case. And we won't go into some of the details of just sort of what we're talking about in terms of the, the recent shootings. And I think in, in talking about this before our recording, um, you know, we, I was looking, I was looking up just to sort of see like what the recent shootings were. And then it's kind of sad that I, I, I would like, I would type into Google and I would look something like that up and it's like, Oh yeah, here, you can find it at your, at your leisure and a website that actually puts this. And then Martin it was like, oh, you know, like, what's the number? Like 12 within the past week. And it's kind of sad that when I looked it up, it was 13 within the past week in, in the country. I didn't even like, want, I did not want to be correct. I was no, just, I was yeah. just exaggerating, but yeah. it was, it was more than that, which is insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, it's, it's one of those things I, at least being able to have this space where we can kind of speak about some aspects of it. I, I think, you know, we're not going to go into like, intense feelings of course we're we're enraged we're deeply saddened we're you know we're feeling all these emotions i think some of the things i wanted to speak on was one part of it is the the ongoing narrative that's that's you know in the media of just how how the how the victim is portrayed versus how the active shooter is portrayed i think it, it's really disappointing to continue to see that that you know we have sort of even the pictures of of the, sh the active shooter being glorified or being portrayed in a positive way like oh they have this family and all that stuff whereas you know you may have a, a different situation where you know you have those who have lost their lives or or those who they portrayed in the media even before who were minorities or portrayed in a negative way and and especially in relation to sort of like the um uh police you know brutalities and pre police shootings before where it's like like, why is it so different for how it's portrayed versus someone who's a minority versus someone who isn't a minority? I think that's probably a, a drastic way that people are consuming media and how they see media. And it, it, it really puts an imprint on how people, you know, take that in. So, I mean, any thoughts on that, Marthy? No, I think you hit it on, like, right on the thing right there. I feel like a lot of our narrative information that gets spread and like um, distributed is definitely like depending on the media channel, right? You have different media channels that have their own agenda or want to spread unbiased information to the best of their abilities. And I think it's up to us as like the consumers to determine like how we're consuming our media and where we're getting it from. Are they first party examples? Are they like, is it third party? Is it someone who's like spreading it uh, like some kind of like, um, like, do they have an objective to why they're spreading this information? Is it clickbait? Is it to be helpful? You know what I mean? Like, it, it really depends on who you're consuming from because then a lot of people, you know, get into arguments or conversations about like, oh, well, I heard it was this way. Well, I heard it was this way. Like, it's kind of hard. It's funny because to your point, we have access to computers at the palm of our hand and our phone, right? We have access to all this research and data, but 
since it's so easily easy to research it, we just append, we just don't expect to go the extra mile to actually consider what are the facts, what are the sources. So I think long would answer, it sucks that a lot of stuff is being portrayed in the light they are. Um, unfortunately, I feel like we can do a better job at checking who's spreading this information. And with that said, like continue to follow information that tends to be more on like non-biased and based on evidence rather than like opinions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think to that point, some of that narrative, um, you know, and I'll be very blunt about this, like some of the sort of like white supremacy narrative that is being circulated around i mean there there are certain you know news platforms that that people subscribe to that they that leads them to sort of think like oh you know like that there's that sort of white supremacy that minorities are taking over that there's there's sort of elimination of white supremacy or you know that that there, we need to reclaim that and it's it's one of those things where it's like i i i remember you know watching something a while ago it was probably yeah, maybe a couple of years ago, that this was something that was portrayed in a documentary. The documentary was called uh, Dark Tourist. And this guy was going out to South Africa, you know, like sort of a, a specific city. And there were um, white folks there who he went to go interview and talk to them. And they, they legitimately had a, uh, like, a, like a white supremacy fear that black folks were taking over their city, that they were, they needed to be armed, they needed to be protected, that, you know, that, um, you know, those who they feared were going to come in and, and attack their families and, and, and do harmful things. And it, it was sort of like a dominant belief in that city. And, you know, I, I was observing that I, I was almost just like, wow, like, I can't believe this is going on somewhere. And I can't believe like that's sort of the narrative that this, this group, like they, they felt like completely just feared. And I was like, wow. And then now current time, it's like that seems to be now more widespread, it seems to be taking over just sort of the, the country. And it's like, why? Like, how did we get to this point where we're now looking at a specific population or specific minorities that are like, oh yeah, these people are taking over. They're they're going they're they're you know now trying to take over our our you know values or beliefs or whatever. And it's it's like, and now we're going to do something to not let that happen. And it's like, what? something that I didn't thought was, I thought was sort of very isolated and unreal. Now it's like, no, this is real life. This is what's happening. It's sad. Yeah, like the power of the internet and media is that, yeah, you can easily consume anything at an instance, but also means that people can put up any information at an instance. And people can like legitimately choose what they want to listen to, which is great, but also means that they're going to continue choosing stuff that is like that fits in their narrative or is convenient to them right if someone has always felt like oh yeah i hate people of color who who took my job because i lost a job position to a person of color and then they find groups i also think the same way like yeah you know it's very much herd mentality which i personally hate so much where there's a huge vast like number of individuals who believe one thing and the person who believes the other thing, which is actually the correct thing, 
always gets outnumbered and basically, you know, appears to look wrong in front of them. So they all think they're right because like, oh, well, 10 of us think this is true and you're the only one who doesn't think it's true. So therefore we're right, right? Because more of us think that way. And it's like, no, that does not, that's not how it works. Just because 10 of you think cert one certain thing doesn't mean it's actually correct. As you can tell, I got very passionate about that <laughs> firsthand experience, but it's, it's powerful, but also deadly how much yeah. information we have these days. Yeah. And, and yeah, I think to build off of what you just said, it's like the, the fact that folks can you know like let's just say a situation they're wronged by some something by you know someone of a specific background that the fact that that generalization now sort of seeps into this person's mind of like oh that person wronged me that person is of a specific background therefore that gives me now the permission or the validation that oh all people of that background are bad and i need to do something about it to, to harm them, to eliminate them, whatever the case may be. And it's just like, what? Like, I think that's what's scary is that we, we you know, th those folks may allow one thing that has impacted them. And rather than sort of maybe making sense of it, rather than sort of reflecting on themselves, rather than maybe even seeking help, if there's a sort of a mental instability there, they then decide, you know what, I'm, I'm going to let this fester and develop into hate, into something where I'm going to then harm other people who have done nothing to you, who have not harmed you, who have lives, who are, who are innocent. And now that it's been controlled by someone else's choosing. Yeah, um, I think... I don't really have much else to say. Well, I do have a lot to say, but not for this podcast. <laughs> um, if everyone's okay with that, we're going to take a short break and then we'll dive into the host, uh, the guest section of our podcast. Hey, yo, taste me and listeners. Did you know on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, you can actually leave us a rating? Yeah, that's right. So you want to help grow this podcast even more? Be sure to visit Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us the rating and give us as high as a score you think we deserve. I say give us five stars, and honestly, you probably should. So please be sure to check out both Spotify and Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating. And please enjoy the rest of this episode. Before we start off, I just want to say that when we were like debriefing right now, got really excited. Chills are going up my my spine. So I'm really excited for our host for today. I'm going to pass it to Charlie to introduce Christina. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Christina uh, and I have met, I'm trying, I, was, I was really, really before this, I was trying to think back, like, when did we meet? And I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I believe we met at a, f one of my friends or our mutual friends wedding. Is that correct? <laughs> I would say close, but not too close. Um, no, okay, okay. We Please correct actually, me. That was my memory. Um, it was me actually who attended a, um, I don't think it was a career fair, but you were leading a panel um, at UC Riverside. Mm. And it was to, I believe, um, just provide some insight and opportunity for the students there to 
get more exposure to what different career paths were available for them. And you just did such an amazing job facilitating that. I was like, I don't know what his background is, but he's like an MC up there. I wish I had this when I was in college. Where was that? Who knows? Maybe I would have changed my major. Um, <laughs> but that was my experience and first impression of Charlie. <laughs> Got it. Okay. So we, we realized that Charlie can, can lead a panel, but cannot remember things very well. You know Noted. what's funny? Charlie, when you're like telling me more about Christina, that's what you said you met her at, at the UCR event. So, okay, okay. So to give me at least a little bit of leeway here, I, I know that, that the, the panel was one of the experiences. I just couldn't remember if, if that was like, you know, later on, or if that was prior to, I don't know. Now we got to talk about that wedding. What happened at the wedding? I, I don't, I don't even know if there was a wedding that existed. Honestly, <laughs> I can't, I'm, I start to question life now. Am I in the multiverse? Like, could that have been a different version of me? I don't know anymore. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave that for a taste of meaning after dark. Um, right. <laughs> but coming this fall, our oh, wonderful guest, Christina, fall. would love to have you introduce yourself to share a little bit more about your identities or anything you want to share about yourself. Sure. I love this question. Um, mostly because a lot of the past interviews I've done have been centered around career and business. And with this podcast, I felt like for the first time, I really had an opportunity to really reflect on, you know, how do we introduce ourselves in this world to people, you know, without going too deep into it. I mean, one thing I know that was really present for me as I was preparing for this and, and having an opportunity to listen to some of the past episodes that you both have done. Um, one of the questions that came to mind to me was, you know, how how do I identify in the sense of culturally? All right. I know you both talk a lot about culture on the podcast as it relates to food, um, but culture as an identity, you know, being someone who is born here, but, you know, I guess you could say like ethnically, my background is half Japanese and half Chinese. Um, my mother's side, she's from Hong Kong. My dad's side, he was actually born here, but, um, you know, I mean, when you look at our lineage is Japanese. And so when I was reflecting on that and listening to that episode that you both did with Lisa, um, there was a quote I pulled from there because it really resonated a lot with me. Um, she mentioned, I feel like I don't belong in either category. Where do I belong? And this represents so much. I feel like growing up feeling like I was split. I just really never felt like I belonged anywhere. And, you know, as an adult, you know, you begin to realize what cultural conditionings, you know, do I subconsciously, you know, uh, bring into my decisions on the day to day without even realizing it, you know, the things that you might take for granted and assume about what others might feel or think, you know, those are things that we kind of inherit from our parents and our grandparents and our school. So I thought it was a really fun place to just kind of begin this conversation today because it's so much of, I feel like what affects the way that we see and experience our world as a whole, right? It's like, I'm looking at your glasses, Charlie, and I can't help but think like, it's like the lens through which we see our world. And, you know, some, sometimes we never pause to even think about, oh, is there a lens even there? 
Um, and I think it just, it starts with kind of slowing down to reflect on that. So I thank you both for, you know, providing this platform. And I loved listening to that episode. I, I, I feel like I, I pulled a lot from it. So yeah. she's, she's hosting, right? Yeah. yeah that's, no, that's totally. the takeaway from this. <laughs> she's, uh, to let our audience know, she's really taking over taste of meeting. Uh, we're, we're actually out of here after this episode, just letting y'all know. <laughs> Um, no, I, you bring no. up a really, really great perspective in that with the lens. Because I think even growing up for me, I, I, I never really thought about it in terms of how I'm seeing the world, how I'm experiencing the world. I just sort of looked at it from like, okay, like I'm, I'm Asian, I'm Thai, you know, I, I, I just exist in terms of who I am to my family, who I am to my friends. I never really thought about what it meant to be like who I am to the world. And, and I think that really does have an impact, especially, you know, now, you know, when the current times of just everything is just like, you know, like, how, how do I, how do I experience myself being from my cultural background, my family values, and, and what have I even picked up all the way up to this point, just from experiences? And how does that shape how I interact with people now? How does that shape how I view things and how I make decisions on things? How I even agree or disagree with things, it comes from those lens of what came before me. So yeah, no, it's a really great perspective that you bring up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm curious to hear too, Martine, about you know your experience with you know how how culture I feel like shows up in the day to day for you, and you know what have you what have you felt like has, if anything, changed maybe even through um, the course of like hosting this podcast and having the opportunity to like reflect on, you know, what perspectives you want to share with your audience? Because I feel like at least for myself, even coming in as, as a guest, it really makes you kind of pause and reflect on like, what do I want? What do I want people to remember me for? And not to say that's the end goal, right? But in the process of choosing the words we share, choosing the topics we even want to discuss, um, I feel like there's so much opportunity for us to even uh, continue on our own growth journey. Um, I don't know, for for lack of better words, like actualization, right? It's almost like becoming more of who you already are. Uh, I don't know if that resonates with you, but um, yeah, I am so curious to hear too. Yeah, that's a terrifying question. The only reason why I say terrifying because, you know, we're, we're a pretty successful podcast, I'd say, Charlie. We have, you know, we have merchandise, we got listeners, we got, we've interviewed some amazing guests like Christina herself. Um, the reason why I'm setting it up like that is because, you know, sometimes the, I, like, I, I'm a Mexican-American, like sometimes I got to really consider what I'm saying, because even though I wouldn't, I never want to speak for Latinos or Mexicans everywhere, but sometimes I need to recognize that I don't also want to make us look bad, which is kind of like, well, I'm not the voice of all Latinos, you know, I'm like first and a half gen, like my dad is born in Mexico, my mom was born here, but my mom's spent almost her time in Mexico growing up with her with family. Mm. So I'm like, I definitely have the first generation experience, but you know, technically it's like 1.5 generation. But uh, with that said, it's doing this podcast and like being the voice that I, we have for this podcast, I got to really recognize like, what do I want to put my, put out there? You know, do I want to put out 
words of positivity do I want to put out just my own personal opinions which I feel like Charlie and I never do <laughs> we don't just put out opinions we just like to share experiences and stories and moving forward that like how important is it to you know embrace culture and express positivity I think that's what we try to net at so yeah I think it's it's scary but I think we do a good job managing it if that answers anything it really does (laughs) no I and I felt like I felt the vulnerability in that response thank you so much um just because I I do recognize it is such a courageous act to share your voice you know whether it's with video whether it's without video I mean it's still your your own voice and your representation of, of what you stand for you know, even if it's not sharing an opinion per se outright, it's sharing your worldview. Um, and, and I feel like I relate so much to that, almost like a subconscious pressure sometimes that we can feel. I don't know if that's something that personally, I can only speak for myself, like something that I've inherited or been taught or like learned, you know, um, this heaviness of almost feeling responsible for being the voice for like, whether it's your generation or whether it's, you know, for your sex or for your career path or for your, you know, race, it's, it can feel like a lot to carry. Um, and I just appreciate so much, you know, the, the courage for both of you and showing up and also providing that platform for others to speak up about, because as, you know, someone who was born here, I think sometimes it's easy to take for granted that, we have these spaces um, in this day and age to share about the things that we care deeply about and stand for. Um, But I know, for instance, like my father grew up in a concentration camp and he was the only Japanese person in his school. And that wasn't a safe space for him, you know, to be able to openly explore what it mean, what it meant, you know, to, to be of his race and his experience here as an American, you know? Um, so I think in some ways, it's something I've just only recently been exploring more deeply, but how those kind of generational wounds, you know, in many ways, kind of, they, they pass through to our generation as well, but we're still processing and learning how to, you know, deal with our own grievances. And, you know, the fact that not everything fits so perfectly like a puzzle between like our American cultural values and, uh, you know, what we grew up with or what we even talk about in the household and and the differences between our generations. I don't know if um, either of you have siblings um, or like, obviously like uncles and aunts, but, you know, I'm sure at some point in time you experience like the difference in, in like that conflict of like, wait, that's, that's not how, you know, you make decisions about things or that's not how we did things when we were growing up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I love uh, kind of what you said there about there, there's sort of like uh, something I always believe in is there's a, an honoring of what's before us, but also trying to find a way to connect that forward, trying to find a way like, how, you know, what are some things that are important for me you know, in growing up or even having experience from past generations, like my, my older brother or my, my parents, my grandparents, like how much of that do I want to carry forward as, as part of our lineage, our legacy? Um, and I mean, most of it, yeah. Um, some of it, maybe not. <laughs> um, and, and so I think it's, it's still being able to figure out how to honor while also carrying it forward. Mm. 
Yeah, I love that. Honoring it while also carrying it forward. Hmm. Yeah, which I mean, I think makes a pretty good segue uh, into how do we then talk about food and, and sort of like how a lot of what we grew up with, you know, we probably have nostalgia about, have have enjoyment with and, you know, to be able to experience it now or to be able to kind of see like what that means for us now and reflect on it. It's pretty interesting. So, I mean, for you, like, what, what do you feel like have been some foods that, that you've loved growing up or that's been meaningful for you, for your family or your culture? Mm, this is such a fun question. Um, I mean, I, I felt like a lot of your previous guests took some of the really good ones. <laughs> Having grown up in like the 626, I was like, oh boy, I really liked that place or I really love that food. Um, so it's so fun, you know, to be able to come to a place where you feel that resonance in a community that you haven't even really met yet, um, but that you find in these spaces, you know, um, and bonding over food, I think is something that uh, I really, really resonate with. And, you know, in the more recent years, I really enjoy cooking. So I think just developing that next layer of a relationship with food, um, beyond it, obviously being, you know, a nourishing resource, but how, how we relate to it in terms of like, why do certain things make us feel good or make us feel excited? Or why do we enjoy certain dishes when we're in the company of others, but not so much when we're on our own? Um, so ah, boy, it was kind of hard to narrow down, um, my food choices for this podcast, to be honest with you. Um, but the one, one of the ones I felt like that I would touch on, and maybe this will open doors for other ones, but, you know, one food topic, and I, I struggled even with first deciding if it was like a food category, because I thought, well, it's technically a drink. So does it qualify as a food? Um, but, uh, that was tea. And, you know, it, I think being Asian tea has always been something that I have been around, but really never gave much thought. I mean, when it was almost like a secondary thing, wherever we were, whether it was eating out, whether it was in the home, it was almost just like a side thing that happened and wasn't really something you expressed a desire for or not and a preference for or not. But as an adult, I have to tell you, like it really, um, it really gave me a new level of appreciation when I began to notice like what a difference was between not just different types of teas, but different quality teas. Um, I actually was quite a big coffee drinker. I think most of us who go through college or school at some point in time end up on that bandwagon of, of Starbucks coffee, or for me anyways, it was like the dollar coffee at McDonald's <laughs> because of like free refills. Um, but I think learning to really appreciate it um, it took me some time and I, I just never really developed an affinity for initially. So as I was um, preparing for today's conversation, I really thought about, you know, when really was my first exposure to tea? Um, because again, I really hadn't sat and thought about it much. So thank you both for giving me a chance to walk down memory lane. Uh, when, I mean, I grew up, I spent a good amount of time with both of my grandparents, um, my parents split when I was pretty young and they were both working a lot. Um, and so, you know, in the process of growing up with my grandparents, both 
both sides actually drank tea a lot. And I always noticed it was like always the same type, you know, you'd see kind of the routines, the grandparents would go to the kitchen, they would take the same box from the cabinets and do their thing, you know, and it was just always kind of this, you know, routine, you never really question it. Um, you never even ask yourself if that's something you want to partake in. But I, I did always feel a little bit curious, like, why do they do that around that time of day? I mean, there's water. Um, but I think remembering that for some reason, that image uh, really stuck out to me in my mind of remembering my grandma going to the kitchen and, and doing that. Um, and when I spoke with my mom about it, I asked her, you know, do you recall or remember what type of tea that was? And because back then when I was young, I didn't think to ask about it or, or even know. I didn't have like a exposure to all these different types. So she actually mentioned um, one of the ones was a barley tea, which I thought was kind of curious because as an adult, I thought, hmm, I mean, maybe I would have expected something like green tea or like an oolong tea, but like barley tea, like that's interesting. Um, I think I maybe only had it like a handful of times when I was eating Korean barbecue. <laughs> so <laughs> um, it, just to kind of give you an idea of like my, my real understanding of tea. So I'm not coming into this podcast as like a tea connoisseur by any means. Oh, you're not a tea um, expert. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I couldn't tell, right? Just, you she, know? she got like barley. She got like greasy. She got oolong. <laughs> the only tea I know is to spill it. Spill <laughs> it. Oh, okay, it worked. Boo. It landed. It landed. Boo. She laughed. Shut up, Charlie. <laughs> I didn't laugh. Boo. Boo. Oh, <laughs> the podcast so listeners this is when they click off. They're like, boo. <laughs> yeah, but um, you know that was some of my earliest recollection of there just being you know, these little moments throughout the day where, you know, perhaps, I mean, I never had the opportunity, you know, unfortunately to really ask, um, but I, I often kind of think about, you know, what, what was it about that, that they enjoyed or what, what was it about that time of day that made it special? And, you know, why, why that time of day versus any other type of day? Um, and it made me reflect a bit on how for each of us, you know, Maybe it's, maybe it's tea for someone, maybe it's coffee for another person, maybe it's stepping out for a walk for someone else or, you know, playing an instrument, but all of us have these activities, you know, throughout the day that help us to take like a momentary pause from the busyness of life, you know, and give us almost this, this small momentary escape. And as I was reading this um, book, uh, maybe some of your listeners might be interested in this if if they actually want to indulge more in like the story behind tea. Um, like I said, I am no connoisseur, but it's actually called the story of tea. I'm invested. Um, <laughs> I love tea, so I, I need to look into that myself. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I I loved the fact that when I was reading this, I got to understand a little bit more about the origins of tea drinking as like an art and a practice, quote unquote. Um, and one of the things I pulled from it was, you know, tea provides a momentary removal from the details of our daily life. And, you know, originating with 
not that it started with this, but one of the references it gave was to you know, the Zen Buddhist monks and how they incorporated this practice and likened that the act of drinking tea to this experience of like this pure kind of like untainted sage-like peace. And I thought, wow, well, that's, that's really like amazing. I wish I felt that way every time I drink tea. Sometimes, not always. That's not really the end goal, but... I thought, you know, it, it is curious how as a culture, you know, as, as an American culture, like what do we have that embodies that type of practice or experience? Um, so, you know, it, it just had me thinking a little bit, like if it wasn't for this slowing down and taking the time to explore this practice, you know, what else in my life, where else in my life do I see this taking place? Um, so it's actually interesting. I'm, I'm like kind of curious to hear because I, I don't know, maybe it's just me. I feel funny talking all the time, but I, I love hearing from both of you on what your experiences are like when it comes to what little moments, you know, throughout your day provide you with that almost similar parallel experience of like, like a momentary peace and like almost escape um, from kind of just the, the details of like your daily life. Martin, you're going to have to go first because I'm very much on the <laughs> tea bandwagon. So like, I'm going to go a little bit on that. So Martin, go for it. Uh, I, okay, first, I think I need to do more things to have like a, an escape from life. I don't think I have enough. But first thing that came to mind was like, first of all I was thinking like what do I do all day I, I work <laughs> I work and I work and then I do the podcast sometimes but I think the only escape I have from life is like when I exercise I guess and when I eat the thing is the eating part is like two seconds before I go back to work so not much time but yeah I think like when I actually like for example today I legit uh woke up early I woke up around 6 30 so I can actually like go exercise and that was like a nice escape because I had like two hours where I can actually do my work or my workout without having to worry about working <laughs> so that was like a nice moment so I guess just like physical activity yeah that's my to draw it back answer I love that I relate to that a lot <laughs> Yeah. And the food, I mean, even the experience of, of that with food, however long it might be, sometimes it is only, you know, a moment. Um, and sometimes what's interesting is it made me think about how it's not even sometimes about like the taste, but the smell that feels like the lingering experience uh, when it comes to eating something, depending on what you're eating. So um, yeah, I, I very much feel like it's it's very encompassing of like that momentary like removal almost from like where where you are and kind of takes you to this kind of different temporary place <laughs> yeah yeah no I, I I feel like for me it it, it certainly was tea like I, I feel like tea has has that sort of feeling where it, it puts me into a space of you know, I, I guess I, I need to read that book because it does put me into this sort of Zen place because I, I feel like tea has so many different um, aspects of my life that has showed up that it, it also has like different meanings. Like, for example, when you started talking about tea, I thought about, you know, like, what were those times that I could think of that, that tea has shown up in my life? And in the first memories that came up was one of them being going 
going to dim sum um, with family growing up. It's like, you know, we would always have tea there and it would be sort of like a, like a communal thing and get to enjoy good food, good company, and then have tea. So that was definitely one of the memories, you know, another being, you know, boba milk tea, like just, (laughs) I I live off of boba. (laughs) So it's like, anytime (laughs) I have that, it's always this feeling of, you know, both calmness and also focus. Like I, I I feel like I'm, it, it does, it has a different, you know, impact on me than coffee does. Coffee just gets me wired and like angsty. Whereas like, you know, tea or boba milk tea, like it, it kind of puts me in this place of like calmness and I can actually focus. Um, and then I, I think the last couple of memories that I brought up was one of, you know, connection to like my culture and, and, and other cultures. For example, um, when my, my wife studied abroad, a couple several years ago actually she went to Vietnam and and actually bought me because she knows I love tea like she bought me like a tea set and then tea from Vietnam to this day like I wish I could find that freaking tea because that was probably the best like jasmine green tea I've ever had in my life and it's like the fact that you know I you know I would certainly want to go to Vietnam to go and, and try that and experience other teas but it's like wow like that was very much a cultural experience just from drinking tea and then I think recently, you know, of course, with like family members passing, you know, there's sort of like a tradition within the Chinese culture that of my wife's where, you know, we would pour tea for our ancestors who passed away as well. So it's, it's so many different, you know, feelings and meanings to, to sort of how I've experienced tea over my life. Mm, that's beautiful. Wow. That's so interesting, you know, that bringing, and what's, what's curious to me too is, how different cultures, it can be the same tea, quote unquote, but the experience and meaning we derive from it, I feel like is so embedded in in our upbringing and the things that kind of surround the tea itself. And for that same reason, I feel like, you know, the so much of the meaning, literally like the meaning of taste <laughs> to reverse the name of this podcast, like is derived from, you know, the, the roots of, you know, where each of those things come from. And what's curious is, you know, like, I'm sure both of you remember, like in studying history, you know, it's like, you think certain things originate from one area only to find out it's like, oh, that wasn't from there. And it was actually a trade and originated from this other area. And you learn so much around what the original intent and purpose for a lot of these things were and the attachments we have to certain things and what we make them mean, you know, in, as a part of our like daily lives. And I thought I'd share this both with you just because I thought this was kind of fun and also a bit like artistic (laughs) Um, from this book. I'm like, oh no, I'm hyping up this book. I should, I should like, you know, (laughs) have a few copies ready for you both. But, um, there's this quote in here about how, you know, what's often referred to as like the way of tea, like the art of tea drinking um, can actually be traced back to, I don't know if it's a province, but they called it, and I'm probably going to totally butcher the pronunciation, but it was called Chanoyu, Japan. And in the book, they talk about how Chanoyu is an artful practice that embodies harmony, respect, tranquility, humility, purity, mystery, which I found was really interesting, beauty, 
artful appreciation, symmetry, and total attention to the art of tea brewing. I thought, wow, that's a lot of layers there that we can probably spend this whole episode even just dissecting and reflecting on how much that shows up in a lot of the cultures, you know, as we see in different regions, you know, whether that's tea and the way it's brewed in South America compared to, you know, in England compared to, you know, in Hong Kong and just how interesting there's so much representation in the act surrounding the food item um, is often like the preparation of it. Like you said, like the ceremony and and like the honoring of your ancestors, um, even, you know, with weddings and, and there's like tea ceremonies, like for weddings. So it's like celebration and at the same time, like an honoring. Um, and I thought that for those reasons, you know, a lot of that was so attractive for me to explore more deeply uh, with what seemed like such a simple, uh, I'm like, it's dried leaves, <laughs> you know, some connoisseur probably like, hit me over the head with that, you know, but um, I, I just thought, wow, you know, if, if we even took a moment to slow down and appreciate a little bit more of like the origin story, which I feel like, you know, in more recent time with the internet and everything, we're, we're so fortunate to have access to these stories. Um, and obviously podcasts like yours that continue to, I feel like give access for others to learn more about the origin stories of things and people's relationships to them. Um, but we kind of gain a new appreciation, um, for the things that are so easy to kind of overlook because maybe when we don't understand the process of like harvesting and, you know, the seasonality of, of the way plants grow and how it, it can only be harvested during certain times of years. I think there's so many, um, wonderful metaphors we can pull from the actual, art of like harvesting tea, if you want to call it that, um, in like the seasons of life, right. That, that we all are, I mean, the season that you're in with this podcast is, is a different season than where you were when you first started. Yeah. I mean, I think all of the aspects of tea is, is probably what, what this world needs more of <laughs> a lot of <laughs> harmony, a lot of honoring, a lot of, you know, those positive, you know, and, and really sort of connective qualities, you know, just, mm. just like, just from something so simple. Um, I don't know. I feel like the world needs more of that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think with our, our time, we want to get to know more of, about you and, and sort of like, really, how, how do you sort of show up and, and sort of what is connecting with you now and what is of meaning to you now that you really want to uplift and share with our audience? Mm. Such a deep question, Charlie. <laughs> I, I appreciate that so much. Um, it's funny, you know, even though I sat there and thought about this question for a while, I feel like it's still in some ways, it, it taps into a very vulnerable place. In many ways, I feel like um, it's just not something that we speak too openly about. At least I know I don't. Um, what's been kind of coming to me to the surface of things? I think in the past year, um, I've really been leaning a bit more into what it means to be a voice and to be a thought leader in our community. And, you know, as someone, I, I know we talked briefly about this 
in preparation for this episode, but, you know, in reflecting on what it was like to, you know, have spent most of our lives being on the other side of, well, here it's the mic, but, you know, on the other side of the, the lens, you know, where you're the one working in kind of the shadows and behind the scenes. And it's not to say that any of that is not just as important, if not more important than the person who's on stage performing. But I think that's what a lot of it uh, created this expectation in my mind around, you know, what it would take before I could ever feel ready or even deserving to have my voice um, be in the spotlight for others to listen to. Um, and it was a very uncomfortable place, quite honestly, because I didn't feel qualified. Um, you know, even when it came to my career, um, speaking as a voice of representation, it kind of goes back to a lot of like what Martine was talking about, you know, feeling the weight and the pressure of needing to almost get it right, whatever that meant, you know, and I always looked up to so much people who, you know, whether they were authors or whether they were, you know, just, just people who would not be afraid to speak up a lot, you know, on social media about their beliefs and what they were taking a stand for. Um, and I realized in doing a lot of kind of the, the mental health, you know, uh, deep work with myself to explore where a lot of that fear was coming from. I mean, I, I really think at the origin of fear is actually a lot of pain and a lot of grief. Um, and, you know, it may not even be my own. It might be things that, you know, I've carried from my parents, from their parents, things that we haven't really openly explored, but there is this kind of unspoken grief, you know, that accompanies having spoken up and having experienced consequences for that speaking up, you know, and, um, it's not to say that, you know, I've, I've gone full force and, and I'm now on the other end of the spectrum of it, but I do feel, you know, in this life, oftentimes it's like finding that quote unquote balance for ourselves with what it means to show up as we are. And at the same time, you know, being so conscientious of the way that how our showing up impacts those around us. Um, and I think, you know, as someone who has really struggled in the past as being like a, a people pleaser and, and just worrying, not wanting to like say things that I felt like would stir the pot or you know, make people uncomfortable. Um, it was so important for me to, I think, come into spaces like on social media, for example, where I acknowledged how much it was important, not just to me, but to the people I was speaking with that they felt seen and that they felt acknowledged and that they mattered. Um, because I think it's, it is hard, you know, we are in sometimes a very like me focused culture, I realized through, you know, meeting over the years and getting to interact with, which maybe this will be another conversation for another day. Um, but in, in the recent months, I, I picked up studying Japanese, that was something that I never did uh, growing up. Um, I leaned more into learning Chinese, just because I spent more time with my my Chinese uh, family, but, you know, in even gaining more exposure and understanding of a different way and experience of self-expression and, you know, the culturisms and the, the ways that we express ourselves, what's okay, you know, what's, what's kind of like not okay um, between females, males, like your certain age in relation to the other person you're talking about. You know, I realized though, as a society, and, and maybe this is kind of a generalization I don't want to 
say anything that of course is going to offend anyone. But, you know, what I've noticed for myself is how in the Western culture, there is a lot of individualization, you know, and there's a lot of pride attached to that. Like I am unique and I am my own person and I I am self-expressed, you know, as opposed to, and maybe it's, it's moving away from that now, as we're seeing a lot of, you know, the, the younger people who are stepping more into their individualization um, in some of the Eastern cultures, but it's much more of a we mentality. And one of the interesting things about that, I noticed not so much in my own family, but more so in kind of those like undertones when I would speak to individuals, friends, you know, who were not born here and who were still very, very identified with their country of origin, you know, that was very comfortable for them. And when I would talk about, you know, certain things such as like their career decisions um, or anything involving, let's say like big money decisions, it was almost impossible for them to not see their decision as a us decision. Like my decision will impact everyone else. So it's important for me to get their opinion on it or to involve them in these decisions. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting Um, because is that something that we learn, you know, through culture? Is that something that, you know, we, we just kind of adopt because of you know, our surroundings and the ideas that are around us. But I never really paused to think about that until I was actually, you know, asked by someone like, oh, well, why, why are you worried about that? Or why would you think that way? And, you know, when, when you encounter questions like that, you know, you, you are forced to, in a sense, like reflect on, well, wait a second, you know, why do I make decisions that way? Or, put so much consideration into how this affects my family. So that's something that's really kind of come to the surface a lot. I know that was probably a really long-winded answer to your question, Charlie, but um, I think, you know, to kind of bring it back, something that has really been surfacing for me over the past year is just almost like a sense of responsibility, you know, for the space that I do have the privilege to access, to use my voice, you know, for helping others and for furthering the things that I I feel really called and believe in, you know, that will make an impact for positive change, you know, for my generation, as well as the generations that have preceded us, you know, who didn't have the privilege of access or the ease of access uh, to some of the knowledge, you know, that comes at our fingertips now, you know, so, um, and I'll give an example, you know, just briefly, I want to be mindful of the time, but recently I had the opportunity to kind of lend some support on the back end of a summit. And in the experience of that summit, one of my clients invited her mother um, to participate. And, you know, a typical mother that's like, hey, I'm just going to be here rah-rah in the background. I'll have my camera off. Don't mind me. I'm just, just know that mom's here supporting you, you know, cheering you on quietly in the background. But the fascinating part of this experience was, you know, she shared with me how her mother ended up being one of the people who ended up sharing and speaking up the most in that container of the summit because she felt, she felt like she gained so much knowledge. Um, and, and to give some context, the summit was really focused on um, like people of Asian descent and um, people who were uh, identifying as like an entrepreneur or, you know, business owner. Um, 
but really I feel like the, the core narrative around a lot of that was um, bringing a lot of healing and, and recognition to how there's a lot of conflict, you know, in, in that space, sometimes with our identities, um, when culturally certain things aren't traditional and readily accepted, uh, maybe even discouraged. And, you know, she expressed to me how healing it was to witness her own mother being able to feel like she had, she had the safety and like the permission, you know, the self-permission to express herself. And she said she'd never experienced that before. And I thought, wow, it's incredible what opportunities we have. We think the past is kind of done and, you know, they are the way, you know, our parents are the way they are, right? They're kind of stuck in their ways, but yet it's amazing how, you know, you still see people evolving and changing regardless of their age stage in life. There's always opportunity to learn and be like a candlelight to someone, which is, I, again, you know, feel like what you're doing here is enlightening other people, you know, wherever they are in their journey and wherever they're going to find you in that journey, right, is, is going to impact the way they interpret things. But we don't have control over that. What we do have control over is how we show up, how, how we decide to show up and what we choose to talk about. Um, and I think that's a big reason why uh, I felt, you know, it, a big part of me being here today and even choosing to talk about the things I talk about is having that in mind. Oh, I, I literally have just been absorbing um, everything you've been saying. And I, it makes me really think about something I've been reflecting on recently, which is, you know, sort of to what extent are we taking in and, and sort of in following sort of what our parents or what are our elders are, 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 are telling us and, and, and recommending for us or in guiding us on. And I thought about this the other day because it makes me think like, you know, if my parents were to tell me something, like let's just say it could be, I don't know, either it could be something like as trivial as like, oh, like we want you to do this, right? And it, it makes me think like, would I do that? Would I follow what they say or would I deny it or I question it? And I think in my worldview and, and sort of how I've grown up to this point, I think just being from a very collectivistic culture, I feel like I, part of me would sort of be more inclined to follow what they may say. And I mean, it's not something where like, I completely agree with, but it's more so just like, I, I feel like part of me is also recognizing like maybe there's only so much time I have left as well, which is kind of like, hey, you know, maybe, maybe some of these things like I, I do listen a little bit more intently now to what they have to say. Maybe there's sort of more, as compared to before when I was younger, it's just kind of like, oh, well, you know, my parents don't know what they're talking about. I want to do whatever I want to do. But I feel like a lot of now just sort of my relationship with them or my honoring of them, there's sort of more of just like recognizing like, hey, there's, like you said, there's a lot that they still can teach, a lot of wisdom, a lot of, you know, what they say has sort of, a, you know, a reasoning behind it and is being able to slow down and really see like, what is, what is that? How much do I resonate with that before sort of dis dismissing it, rejecting it or, or not allowing it to really resonate a little bit? Mm. Yeah, I appreciate that. 
I think it takes a lot of self-awareness, Charlie, you know, to slow down and, and recognize where our own judgments or assumptions are, you know, when it comes to, especially the unsolicited advice, right? <laughs> Which we often receive from family members. It's so easy to dismiss. And, you know, naturally that, that inner teen rebel part of us, that's like forever there is like, oh, I don't, I don't need to hear that right now. Or like, I know already, or mm, you don't really know um, what I'm going through or, but that's kind of the beauty of it, you know, is the fact that, yeah, may maybe we don't, and we never will entirely understand what life is like living through one another's experiences, but we can still learn so much from one another um, through taking the time to really appreciate, I think, just everyone's experience. So, yeah, thanks for sharing that. I mean, yeah, that was it for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I want to, you know, thank you again for doing what you've been doing with us today. And Let's take a quick break before we go to the mental health check-in. Have you ever wondered, wow, that was an amazing conversation they had on the podcast. Honestly, I have more thoughts. So you can actually tell us your thoughts by using the Q&A section on Spotify when listening to Taste of Meaning. That's right. You can actually visit that Q&A section on each of our episodes where we have a Q&A posted and you can respond to the question itself or you can let us know what happened in the podcast and if you had any further thoughts. So be sure to check out Spotify and you can visit that Q&A section for Tasty Mini episodes moving forward. Thank you. Now time for the final part of our podcast. It is our mental health check-in. I'm going to pass it to Charlie to lead the way. Then we'll get some um, tidbits from Christina and then we'll wrap up. Cool. So yeah, I think for the mental health check-in today, you know, in, in, in our conversation up to this point, it's, I think where it's really been centered on has been sort of voice, but also recognizing sort of our, our privilege within that as well. And it, it's made me resonate on something that, you know, I've been part of um, sort of like a training that's been going on at my work. It, it's called the, uh, the Anti-Racist Summit. And one of the most recent things that we talked about is sort of this concept between being an ally versus being a co-conspirator. And it, it, it started to resonate within me of, you know, something that I even brought up in that training was that, you know what, like I, there are aspects of my life where I feel like I'm more towards being an ally versus being a co-conspirator. So I think one of the big tenets that I took away from that was that, you know, a co-conspirator is really someone who's willing to put their privilege essentially on the line for whatever it is they're fighting for. So, it, you know, and, and the part, the word that really stuck out to me between that was risk. And when I, I brought it up, I was like, you know, risk is a very heavy word because risk can be, you know, a privilege. It could be my, my role. It could be, you know, my finances, whatever. However, when I, I thought about risk, I thought about just life in itself. Am I willing to put my life on the line for, you know, something that I'm fighting for? It wasn't easy for me to say yes to that because I, I really had to reflect on, you know, how does this then impact the, my family, the, my loved ones, if I were no longer here? because I risked my life for whatever it was that I was fighting for. And, you know, something that I took away from that training was that, you know what, maybe there has, there's a process there of just 
being able to really think about a calculated risk of, hey, is it okay for me to be an ally? And what does that mean for me to be able to use my voice, use my privilege to help uplift others, to help fight for something that is meaningful and that we want, I want to see a change in this world? And how much of it can I go a little bit further than that? And, and what does that mean for me? I know for me, like I, I've voiced this before, like I'm not the type of person who's going to go out there and, and be on and, and go out and do marches with, with other people. It's just not who I am. I know, but, but I know for me, what I do see my platform is through this podcast, through being able to support organizations financially, being able to share through social media. These are some of the things I really feel that are impactful and important for people to know about, to have knowledge of. At least those are some areas I know I can commit to within my voice. So that's kind of where my mental health check-in comes in. Yeah, I really resonated a lot with, you know, the, the emotion and kind of the heaviness that surrounds the risk in that. And I think it just, it really ties back into our earlier conversation around, you know, when you do make the decision with every decision, however big or small that might look, even if it may not look like speaking out openly to others, it starts with the conversations that we have with ourselves, you know, within, you know, what, what happens under our own roofs, you know, and sometimes those can be the hardest decisions to make because with those closest to us, there are maybe old patterns or ways that we feel we know one another to be. And anytime someone wants to take a stand for making a shift in that narrative, it can feel especially challenging. You're met with a lot of resistance because it can feel like a threat within your own household. And I remember, um, kind of early into a lot of what I witnessed with the Asian hate crimes, you know, and experiencing within my own community and hearing conversations between individuals who were within households with their families, um, some of them being the same, you know, race and, and blood lineage and having very different perspectives on how we should respond, you know, should respond to that. You know, some may have taken a you know, a very kind of no, just don't do anything, be quiet, stay quiet, let it pass. Um, this is so unnecessary. Um, and, and others, you know, being very on the other end of it and encouraging and feeling frustrated by how, you know, others were responding to that. So I do think there is a big risk in that, in potentially, um, I wouldn't say losing. Um, it's it's a matter of perspective, right? Because what are you really losing? But um, at at what you know, at, at what risk does that come to you? And, and for each of us, that's going to look different. Is it worth it to you? Um, and what would have to happen for it to be worth it to you? Um, I mean, these are big questions, you know. And I, I don't think oftentimes. We do think many, many times on the day-to-day um, until we're kind of hit with some, some of these really bigger moments where we're really confronted. But that's the beautiful thing. I think about trainings like the ones you're partaking in right now is the fact that we're encouraging those conversations more openly um, and making it, normalizing it, as opposed to it being this thing we only talk about in these certain places um, but I do believe it starts there, right? I think having some form of um, support and structure around how do we have conversations like this when it does feel really scary um, 
and people are going to look at me a certain way if I respond a certain way about things. Um, and so much of that, I think, again, taps back into that feeling of safety in our own selves, in our own bodies um, of, do I feel safe in my surroundings, being myself, coming forward as I am fully and acknowledging that that could also change, you know, and in, in a year or, or whatnot, you know, based on your own experiences and understanding of, of the world. Right. So yeah, I, I appreciate you sharing that. Martin, any thoughts, anything you want to bring in before we start to wrap up? Um, my only thought is that I appreciate both of you for being so knowledgeable and very responsible for your words. A lot of my responses would be more out of emotion and hate towards what's going on and a lot of anger. So I'm really happy that we have both of you to really like condense what and to make it like digestible for us to listen to. Which I, I mean, I, I want to honor your experience too, Martin. I, I think those are other experiences that people may feel too. And I, I think, at least for me, I, I, only, I only get myself to this place because a lot of those raw emotions, I maybe haven't processed fully yet, or I haven't felt comfortable to even let out. So I, I want to honor your experiences too. It's just like, yo, like if you feel like that, like that, that, that's real. Like that, that's what people feel too. Like they want to just sort of scream at the rooftops or they just want to be, you know, viscerally upset and yeah, no, that's real too. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you for saying that. Yeah, absolutely. And I thank you for sharing that. And, and this is the beauty I feel like of having the three of us in this conversation is the fact that we, we each can represent, you know, something that I'm sure within this audience listening can really resonate with perhaps, you know, maybe pieces of each of our experiences. I certainly know that I've had moments where sitting with anger and um, what actually was beneath a lot of that anger I was exploring was, you know, uh, uh, not only the grief, but also like a deep resentment in many ways that was really almost kind of shameful to name. You know, I think like in our culture, sometimes it's not looked highly upon to be angry. It's not highly looked upon, right. To be, maybe it's looked at as like negative to have those emotions like, Oh, why are you being so negative? Why can't you be more grateful or more positive and, and all those things. But in the meantime, you know, there's so much of this unspoken suppression of anger and injustice or feeling wronged or feeling unheard, right? I feel like so much of it stems from not feeling heard or given the chance to be seen for like who you are. And when I looked back at how much of that's been layered into the experience of the generations before us who never had the opportunity to close that, you know, the, those painful experiences and, and to bring healing to that and forgiveness work, you know, that could feel extremely vulnerable, especially if you're in a very kind of survival mindset, right. To get through and, and, and not think about, you know, slowing down to process a lot of this pain. I think a lot of that energy carries through into our, our present day where, you know, we, we subconsciously take that in from the things we observe and the way people handle maybe stress, anger, sadness, you know, if that was ever discouraged, like within your own 
family growing up. I know from myself, you know, speaking personally, I can say like, I had a really hard time processing sadness and anger for most of my life. It came out through other forms, like maybe writing or like uh, Martine was talking about like exercise, you know, it was a huge release outlet for me, but, you know, vocalizing that felt extremely like risky and vulnerable to put yourself into say, sometimes I wouldn't even write about it and share about it publicly because it's like, oh my goodness, someone could pull that and say like, hey, look, you said that. So what is what does that mean? You know, are you going to take that back? Um, and it really is, I think, a, a daily decision, right, that could be choosing um, to embrace that risk. But if there's one thing that I would probably encourage your audience, you know, to continue exploring if this is something that um, is something that that comes up for you, you know, is who else could really, who else could really, I don't want to use the word benefit, but who else out there struggles with saying the things that perhaps you probably are struggling with wanting to voice, but who could really, really feel seen by you sharing what's on your heart to share. Because I think so often when we think about doing it for ourselves, it can feel really scary. But when we think about, you know, the people who, even if it's one person who could really feel seen and not so alone by hearing about your story and your struggle and your experience. I think that's why we actually relate so much to the stories of the struggle, not the successes, but the actual struggles of individuals and, and what they've overcome um, because it's not beautiful you know, and it's not easy. So um, I forgot what the saying was, but there's some sort of saying out there that something along the lines of like, you know, you, we, we come together you know, through experiences of struggle and it's, I think, because it's an experience so many of us can all relate to at some point in our lives, right? So, yeah, no, that was amazing. And again, as I keep voicing over, like you're the host for today, but you've oh been goodness, doing, you've no. been doing an amazing <laughs> job. And like, thank you for helping us record today, bring this episode to a close. Before we do close out, do you have anything you want to shout out? Absolutely. Um, I mean, there's so many, you know, wonderful tools and community resources out there um, that, you know, I'm sure many, many are exposed to on the daily. Um, there are certainly a few, you know, wonderful individuals that I would, you know, love to be able to, you know, share their work with you, whether that's like in the show notes or whatever feels appropriate to you, um, who could serve as additional, I feel like resources and conversation on these topics. Um, but you know, outside of that, I know we did touch on, you know, like anger today and being with really uncomfortable emotions and something that I've personally been utilizing myself, you know, through a lot of this really kind of uncomfortable work over this past year was um, passed down to me through one of my coaches. And I'm so grateful because, you know, I, I didn't have these tools before. And I look back and I thought, well, Sure, they might seem like simple questions when you look at them on a piece of paper, but if it just allows you to slow down in that moment rather than spiral out, you know, when you're feeling really upset or when you're feeling, you know, like you're stuck and, and like you have no one to talk to about this because maybe you're worried about how that's going to impact them um, or you don't want to say the wrong things and sound a certain way to to be able to at least have a space for that in processing yourself. So I thought I'd share a few of these questions with your audience that they could ask themselves. Um, 
it's originally from this process that my coach Whitney uh, shared, and I'm happy to share her social links below for those who want to connect further with her, but um, she called it the pattern panic worksheet. And essentially, you know, the questions that I'm going to share with you were from that. Um, and the first was around naming the experience. So, you know, when you think about, or when you're experiencing kind of in the heat of the moment, like this anger or this, you know, panic or feeling of like stress, and you notice kind of like a certain thought that's like ruminating and repeating over and over again, you know, there's a feeling that you can't seem to break out of or shake, you know, to, to really kind of sit with that and say, you know, okay, I notice that I am experiencing. So it kind of removes you immediately from I am the feeling, but I am noticing that I am experiencing anger, frustration, sadness, stuckness, whatever that might be. And giving yourself that permission, it is allowed to be here. I'm learning from it until I no longer need it. And I thought that was really interesting because that last part, I no longer need it. Uh, I mean, it's a deeper conversation for another day. Um, but, you know, a lot of these feelings serve a purpose in our life. And I think a lot of times when we're so quick to want to dismiss and get rid of uncomfortable feelings like anger, well, maybe that anger is actually pointing you towards a value a core value that you really care about. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's freedom. Maybe it's freedom of speech. And, and the fact that that angers you, you know, to see someone being victimized or suppressed as a result of sharing their voice, well, maybe that represents a value for yourself. So I'm learning from it until I no longer need it. Doesn't mean that you no longer need that value or that that emotion no longer will come up and surface in your life. But as it relates to why that experience is happening. Um, and then, you know, I, I won't go too much further into it. I felt like that was already just a, a first great taste of, you know, being able to separate yourself a bit from the emotions that are happening and just noticing with a bit more detachment, what's going on here? Like, how can I not judge myself, right? Guilt myself, shame myself for experiencing guilt or for experiencing embarrassment or experiencing, you know, whatever might be coming up for you in that. So actually, I mean, I, I feel kind of like my intuition is leading me to say like, to begin there and to begin with first acknowledging what emotions even come up around the things that you, you are experiencing and saying to yourself. Because I think so often we can be our own harshest critics when it comes to experiencing things and naming things. Um, and it starts with the relationship we have with ourselves, right? So um, I think I'll, I'll leave it with that. That feels kind of complete to me. I don't know yeah. about you both. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, no, thank, I want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for, for being our guest today, for really bringing up a lot of impactful things that our audience can think about and, and really feel into, I know I, I certainly will be walking away from this, you know, thinking a lot and reflecting on a lot of things that are going to shape my, you know, um, steps moving forward. So yeah, I want to say thank you definitely for sure. And for sure. Thank you to our audience, uh, for our loyal listeners who are, you know, continuing to listen to our podcasts, our episodes. So to close out today, I definitely want to say, Folks, um, we'll definitely be back with another episode pretty soon. Until then, continue to take care of yourselves and most importantly, take care of others. We'll see and you all even soon. more importantly, buy merch at teasermain.com. Ah. <laughs> I'm terrible at promoting <laughs> the anything. most important one. I, that's why we have Martin. Martin promotes help all the us things. donate to the food bank. 
Yes. Which food bank are you donating to? What a perfect plug. We all <laughs> proceeds from old sales are donated to the Los Angeles Regional Food Bank. So be sure to check out tismain.com for merch. We have t-shirts, we got long sleeves, and we got stickers. And our next collection, we're gonna have hoodies. So check out tasteofmeaning.com. Look at that natural promoter's voice. We I need know. to hire Martine for like ad promotional campaigns. Exactly. I work exactly. in advertising. No wonder <laughs> it makes so much sense now. Well, thank you both so much. It's been such a joy to connect and to have the opportunity to even reflect and go a bit deeper in my own experience. I, mm -hmm. I love and appreciate so much of what you do here and keep up the amazing work. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Have a great night.